Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this morning, 1 John chapter 2. Hey, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, we got people who would love to come up. They're coming up the aisles right now with Bibles in their hands. If you throw your hand up, we'll get a Bible into your hands so that you can have a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, and take it home to to be the copy of God's Word that you get to carry with you. You get to study and underline and read and memorize. Be sure you have a copy copy of God's Word because I don't have a lot of great stuff to say outside of what God's word has for us. And so we want to dig into what God's word has for us this morning. Starting this morning as we continue in the series in 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2 starting in verse 18. And as you're turning there, how many of you were, were woken up uh, the, just this little while ago with the Amber Alert? Anybody get woken up by that alarm? Eh, 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 right? Super scary, right? It woke me up out of a sleep. Like, I was like, what is going on? I thought my house was on fire. And I'm like, I don't think that's what our alarm sounds like. I didn't know. And I, I was so scared about it. And here's the thing. Tragic story. Like, like my, my heart broke when I heard the story the next morning, the next day. That night, the sound, the sound scared me. I woke up. But here's the thing. The, the reason why that alarm sounds, the reason why that would be such a scary thing, the reason why that was so important that it go is because it was for an important thing. And so, so the alarm had to be urgent. Why, why did the alarm have to be urgent? Because a child was missing. And listen, as a dad with three daughters, hearing that a girl was missing, man, my heart broke. And I see that thing, and first I gotta calm myself down because it went off, and then I'm thinking, man, I can't do anything about it here because I'm not where it is, but I can pray, Lord, would you let this alert, alert somebody who can find what's going on here? It was an important alarm. Now, there are other alarms that go off, and, and we don't pay attention to them at all, right? Like, how, how many actually, actually make any adjustment to your life, to your day, when you hear a car alarm go off, Right? We just don't. The, the only thing I do is like, did I, did I sit on the panic button by mistake? And I see, nope, my car's not, oh, it's that one flashing, whatever. And we walk on, right? We don't do anything about car alarms anymore. They just, they don't, they don't, they don't shock us into doing anything. It's, it's no big deal. This morning in God's word, there's an alarm we're gonna see. And, and it's an alarm that cannot be ignored. It, it's an alarm that has eternal consequences. Look at verse 18 John, writing this letter, he says this. He says, children, it is the last hour. Can can you sense already the the urgency of what he's writing here? He's saying it's the last hour. He's writing this letter to a group of Christians, a group of churches in in the area around Ephesus, and and they're people that he loves a ton. I I love that every time we we bust open 1 John on Sunday mornings, we, we get to read at least once or twice him saying, my dear children, my beloved, my loved ones. This is a pastor who loves these people, and, and he's speaking on behalf of God because, listen, that's God's heart for us this morning, that he'd say to you, dear children, dear children. And he says, it's the last hour. Now, now here's, here's an alarm that John's setting off, but, but when you read 1 John, you read, it's the last hour, it can almost sound like a car alarm, can it? Like, really, really, that's your alarm, John? Like, John, you wrote this in probably 90 to 100 AD, and you were saying it's the last hour? We're, we're 2,000 years later. The Bible uses this phrase, the last hour, the last days, talking about this period of time between when, when Jesus rose from the grave, then when he went back to heaven, this period of time in between that and when he's coming back to make all things right, when he's coming back to judge the earth, when he's coming back to take his home. And there's an urgency to John's plea here. He's saying this last hour, because what he's saying is, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. 
We don't know when we're going to be ushered into eternity. And you got to think, if, if John's saying it's the last hour, if it's like the fourth quarter when John was writing this, man, we're for sure in the two-minute warning time of, of history, are we not? Like, if, if, if he was saying it's the last hour, well, what is it for us? And yet we can be so lulled to sleep. We can be so lulled to sleep by the here and now. We don't see things with an eternal perspective any longer. And life becomes all about what's my best life now. And what happens is we start to think that this is all there is. And eternity seems so far away that, that I mean, I, yeah, I get eternity's coming. Yeah, last hour, whatever. I want to get as much out of this last hour as I can then. And our focus becomes all the here and now. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 16, he says, make the most of our time. Why? Because the days are evil. All through scripture, you see this repeated over and over again. Don't waste today. Don't get lulled into the idea that, that, that even today can be blown off because it's the last hour. I mean, I just got an email from a good friend this week letting a bunch of people know that he'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And immediately I was, I was woken up out of the this is all there is mentality you can be sucked into. I've woken up of the, the sleepiness of, of just the here and now. And, and again, so clearly aware of eternity, eternity being so close that the last hour is here. Maybe you could think of it this way. Think of the doctor coming to you and saying, hey, you've got a month. That's it. I mean, what do you do with those 30 days? In, in 30 days, you will stand before the creator God, a mighty, righteous God. In 30 days, you will stand before Jesus. I mean, what do you do in those last 30 days? I mean, God's word here right now is saying, that's the reality right now. That's where we're at. How will you live in this last hour? What would you choose to do? I mean, that's it. That's what matters. And Satan does so much to try to pull us out of that reality and get us to stop thinking with this sense of urgency and just live like today is just like another day and I got so many of them. I mean, I think about it this way too. You can think, maybe, maybe you think about how when Adam and Eve were created and here's, here's Adam being created out of nothing. I don't know what that would have been like. You imagine all of a sudden you come into consciousness and there you are and there's God. And you're like, uh, who am I? Where am I? And God says, I just created you. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, thanks, see ya. Like, you wouldn't do that, right? You're like, well, what's my purpose? What do you have for me? We were created by God. We rebelled against God. The Bible calls it sin. We went our own way. We, we tried to have our best life now. We went after everything horizontal. And because of that, we were left lost and dead and blind in our sin. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he comes and he says, hey, listen, I can heal you by taking your sin upon myself. I'll pay the penalty so you don't have to. And, and, and so that you can have the relationship again that Adam and Eve had in the garden. I will restore that relationship with you. He rescues you. He saves you. Would we really say, hey, great, thanks, Jesus. See you later. I mean, that's what life's about. That's what really matters. That, that's what, when we get to this idea of, man, if that's the truth, if I've been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, man, I want my life to be about knowing Jesus more. I want, I want to give my time. I want to give my resources. I want to give my energy. 
I want other people to know him. Why? Because this is the last hour. Okay, John goes on and he gives a reason why it's the last hour. He says, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know this is the last hour. Now here's John, he's, he's saying that, that in the last hour, there are gonna be some people who are gonna be opponents to Jesus. Now, now you hear that word antichrist and depending you know, where you grew up or how you grew up, you, have a, you may have a, a view when someone says antichrist, you get a picture in your mind. Maybe you grew up in, like I did and you think of in the 80s, every horror movie you saw, right? You're like, that's the antichrist, there it is, right? Or maybe you grew up in church and you got this picture of, of what this antichrist is and you're thinking, oh sweet, Pastor Kai's gonna talk about that. He's gonna get out charts and timelines and graphs. He's gonna tell us all the, like what the mark of the beast is. Like, will there be zombies in, in when Jesus comes back? Like, is that how it's gonna go? Like, what's this all gonna look like? like, right? Here's the thing, though, if you're really super jacked up about that, you're excited, this is, we're getting into it. That's not what John's talking about. Actually, in this passage here, what he's talking about is, is not so much this, this, hey, here's an easy to spot antichrist. Like he's going to show up in a big robe and float in here with 666 across his forehead. He's saying, no, 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 no. There are already antichrists here is what he's saying. It's so much more personal than that. Look at verse 19. Look at what he says about these antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying these antichrists are right here. They, they, they were in the church. John's saying this. He goes, hey, hey, remember Jimmy who used to serve and harvest kids with you? Remember Susie, who was, who was leading the worship team? Yeah, yeah, they hung out with us. They were among us, but they never really were true followers of Jesus. I mean, John says they walked away. They gave up. I mean, they seemed so sincere at the time, but, but their life reveals that they never really believed it at all. He says they're antichrist. They're against Christ. They're opposed to Christ. Now, the question you could ask when you hear that is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying we can lose our salvation? I mean, the, the ones who God saves and redeems and has in his hand, Scripture says in the palm of his hand, he holds you. Can, can he drop those? Can he lose those? No, what I would say is what John is saying here is that they're living a life that shows they never actually were true followers of Christ. They may have been sincere in the outward, in the output, in how they were trying to do things in the church way, but their hearts were never really changed. How would you say that? Because scripture says this, that if you truly know Christ, you will persevere to the end. Now, now will you stumble and fall along the way? Will people have seasons where they, they wander from what they know is true? Sure, but if you've been changed by God, one way you can know for sure that you're an authentic Christ follower is that you persevere. You don't give up, you don't bail, you don't wander away, you don't stop serving Jesus as your Lord and your King. Look at verse 22. Talking about the Antichrist again, he says, who, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. 
So what is it? What is it to have this, this spirit of the Antichrist? What, what is it to, to live like that? It's, it's not some weird end times, creepy, weird freak. The, the reality is this, it's denying Jesus. It's denying who Jesus is. And here's the scary part. Here's the scary part. Not just denying with your words, but with your actions. With your life. Living a life that denies that he's God. Living a life that denies that he's Lord. Now, in, in John's day, what was going on is these people were, were creeping into the church and they were called Gnostics. And these Gnostics believed that, that the material world was evil, the spiritual world was good. So they started saying, man, this whole Jesus thing about how Jesus is God incarnate, God incarnate means God in the flesh, or like chili con carne, chili with meat. So God incarnate, God with meat, pretty much what it is, right? And, and they're saying, that can't be because the flesh is evil. So Jesus can't be God the man. So, so they're saying, it's not true. And they're coming into the church and what they're saying, actually, the Gnostics would do it this way. They'd say, yeah, you know what? That's cute. You believe that whole thing about Jesus, but we have a higher knowledge. And, and you just don't know it, but, but if you were more spiritual, you'd be able to get this. This, this whole idea about Jesus, man, that, that's so outdated, man. You are so old fashioned. You believe in Jesus? Like you really believe that God came in the flesh? That's the Gnostics. I mean, you, you want to be in step with society, man. You don't want to be believing that. you got to drop that whole Jesus thing. And John knows, man, if you drop Jesus, you lose everything. And the apostle Paul said in Corinthians, he says, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're fools for doing this. Without Jesus, why are we doing anything that we do? I mean, Jesus, it was so important. He asked his disciples in, in Matthew 16, he, he gathered them together. He goes, hey guys, who do people say that I am? And you think about all the things that Jesus had done up to that point when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And I mean, he's walked on water. He's healed a woman with, a, with, with a, an issue of blood she had for 12 years and all she had to do was touch his coat and boom, she's healed. On his way, while that was happening, he was actually on his way to raise a little girl from the dead and he raised her from the dead just by saying, hey, wake up. He gets into a boat and a boat or this, this hurricane-like storm comes in, these fishermen, John being one of them, in the boat thinking they were going to die. Jesus wakes up and just says, peace be still. The storm stops like it had never been there. On the way from that, they land the other side of the Sea of Galilee and there's this guy possessed by demons. He'd been possessed for most of his life. They, they couldn't do anything with him. They had him chained up and he kept breaking these chains. He, he would throw himself in the fire. He was just this crazy man. Jesus steps in. The demons see Jesus. They're like, hey, what are you gonna do with us? Don't torture us. The demon's scared of Jesus because he's God incarnate. And Jesus heals the man. Jesus feeds thousands of people with a kid's filet fish lunch. Like, let's do this. We'll, we'll feed thousands with this. He's been doing all these remarkable things and he says to his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give the answers. Well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're John the Baptist. I mean, some say you're crazy. You're just a liar. And then Jesus asks them this. He says, hey, forget about what everybody else says that I am. And he asks the most important question. He says, who do you say that I am? Isn't that, isn't that the question we have to answer? I mean, if we're gonna be true followers of Christ, the, the question we have to answer is, who do we say Jesus is? Not, not just intellectually, I'll give you the theology of Jesus, but even if, if he truly is who he says he is, man, my life is gonna reflect, this is who Jesus is. 
Scripture says that Jesus is eternal, that all things were made by him and through him, and that because we rebelled against God, Jesus leaves the glory and the splendor and the majesty of heaven. He steps into humanity. He takes on the curse of humankind. He he lives the perfect life that we couldn't live. We had to live perfectly if we want a relationship with God. Jesus lives that life. He dies a death in our place that we should have died, taking on all our sins, past, present, future sins. And because he was fully God, fully man, he, he, could, he could take our sin. He could pay for our sin. He could be our representative. And on that cross, all our sin debt placed on Jesus and he dies. And they place him in a tomb. And he stayed there all day Friday. He stayed there all day Saturday. But early on Sunday morning, he got up. With, with all power in his hands, he raises from the dead. Not, not just a little bit of power, not just a piece of power, but with all power, he gets up with the power to bring you from death to life. Amen. This should fire us up a little bit. The power to put your feet on solid ground. That, that in that moment, Jesus defeats sin and Satan and death, defeats even our self that wants sin. Look what John says in verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let this gospel truth, what I just said there, he goes, let that abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he's made to us, eternal life. John says, this is the message you got. I mean, do you, do you want an experience of who God is? Do you, do you want to reach the highest levels of spirituality? These Gnostics are saying you need some intellectual knowledge, some secret knowledge. He goes, no, this is it. This is the truth. It comes through Jesus. And he says, let that message abide in you. Let that message marinate in your heart. Let that message constantly be the focus of your life that you're set free. That, that Listen, that power that set you free is still at work in you today. So when John's saying, hey, there are these people that hung out with us, but then they left us, so they weren't really part of us. John wasn't saying that it's these people, like, like we'd be going, oh, really? I'm okay, I get it now. Because, I mean, Ricky didn't like the music at Harvest. He went to Pine Grove. He's the Antichrist, right? <laughs> like that, that's, not what, that's not what John's talking about here, right? No, no, John's going after some foundational things here. He's going after, hey, this is what makes you a Christian or not a Christian. This isn't those minor things we disagree with as Christians. And listen, there's a, there's a lot of things that as Christians we don't agree about. I mean, here at our church, we, we, we call them open-handed things. Things, you know what? We have convictions about some of these things, but man, I'm not gonna die for these things. And we can disagree about them and, and our hands open to these things and, and we won't divide or we won't fight over. We won't have to, to not be brothers and sisters because of these things. You know, style of, of worship, music, spiritual gifts, details about how the end times actually work out, man, open-handed. What John's saying here is, no, there's something foundational. And if you remove this, you no longer have Christianity. This is what we call a closed hand issue. That, that I would die for these things. I wouldn't kill you for it, but I'd die for it. And what he's saying is, this is, this is, hey, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God the Son who came and died for our sins. It's a closed handed issue. 
If we would say, if, 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 if Jesus is who he is and, 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 and if we truly understand what he's accomplished, if those things aren't true, if, if all these things that aren't true about Christ, there's no reason for us to submit our lives to him. But we hold these things tightly, that, that God's word is inspired and authoritative. We hold that tightly, that, that Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, that he bore our sins so we could be set free the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that what Jesus says about himself, that when he says, I am the truth, the way, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. We're close-handed on that. Not because I said Jesus is the only way, because Jesus said he's the only way. And if this isn't true, what are we doing? If that's not true, why is he Lord over our lives? If that's not true, there's no reason for us to say my whole life needs to change. If that's not true, then why would we serve each other? Jesus Christ is the foundation of the community here that we've been reconciled to God. So we, we live that out in reconciliation with each other. It's because of Jesus' forgiveness of you that we forgive each other. Of course, I can forgive any hurt you do to me because Christ forgave everything. It's because of Jesus we could give sacrificially. Yeah, I'm giving, I, I want to give to him and man, he's worth it. I mean, why obey scripture about, about sexual purity? Why, why obey scripture about integrity? It's because as we say so clearly, we're about Jesus. That's what this church is all about. And if, if Jesus isn't the Lord, then there's no reason to sacrifice anything. If he's not who he says he is, man, we can just stay surface level with each other. We don't actually need to go deep. But listen, we, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that changes everything. How we do relationships change. How we do life changes. How we do our stuff changes. And John says, grab a hold of this truth. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let what you knew before these false teachers came wandering in the truth of who Jesus is, let this abide in you. Now in the original language, when he says, let it abide in you, it's, it's a plural you. It's like, let it abide in y'all. So this is a, a message for all of us that, that we would let the truth of the gospel abide in all of us. What's that mean? That I preach the gospel to myself and we preach the gospel to each other. We do this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. As a community of, of believers that we're like, I want to know who Jesus is and I want you to know who Jesus is. We're going to press into this together. Now, what's that mean though? What's it mean that, that you need that truth to abide in you? I mean, if we don't want to be one of these who goes out and, and they were never one of us, what does it mean to abide in this, to have that abide in us? Well, Jesus says in John 15, he says that I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you want to bear fruit, if you want a life that bears fruit, then you need to what? He says, you need to abide in me. And in John 15, you need to read that chapter. He says 11 times, abide in me and I'll abide in you. 11 times. I mean, if Jesus says something three times, you probably should perk up, right? If, if he says it seven times, you should probably memorize it. If he says it 11 times, like tear that page out of your Bible and glue it to your forehead, right? This is important stuff. He says over and over again, abide in me. 
Have your life connected to me. Connect to me because I am your life is what Jesus is saying. And, and again, not just intellectual belief about who Jesus is, but, but because you're connected to the vine, it changes everything about you. That's what abide is. It means to make your home in. It means to, to, to be connected to, to stay connected to Jesus. I mean, if you think about this, if you were to, to go and you go to this beautiful apple orchard, man, there's just the best apples you've ever had. Like, I want those apples at home, so I'm just gonna snap that branch off and I'm bringing it home. I'll have apples whenever I want them. Doesn't work, right? Why? Because the branch has been removed from the tree and Jesus is saying the same thing. Listen, abide in me. Stay connected to me. God doesn't expect us to, to produce fruit on our own. That's why Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't expect us to have anything come out of our lives that isn't from him. If God wants to grow something in you, if there's a sin that needs to be eradicated in your life, if there's a, a step of faith you need to make, God's saying, stay connected to the vine and I'll give you what you need for that. I'll give you the tools, I'll give you the plan, I'll give you the materials. Why? Because God wants us to bear fruit, bear much fruit, bear more fruit. And, and he says, I'll supply everything to make this happen if you stay connected to Jesus. When you abide in Christ, when you have a love for Christ, this is, man, I want my whole life to be about him. I wanna be in his word. I wanna be in prayer. I wanna be connected to Jesus. Here's what happens. You, you completely change. Fruit begins to grow naturally, not because you're trying to push fruit out because you're actually connected to the vine. I mean, think about it on, on either way. You can think about it as obeying what it looks like to follow Jesus or, or what about sin? How do I avoid sin? When we abide, when we're in Christ in that way, then what happens is obedience becomes more natural to us. I mean, I love Jesus. Of course I want to pursue this. It's, it's kind of, it becomes like breathing. No, no one has to remind you to breathe, right? No one goes to small groups and say, hey, 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 could you hold me accountable next week that I'd, be, I'd breathe? Would you call me on my cell phone? Just to hold me accountable, bro. I just, I forget to, like, we don't need that, right? You, you just breathe normally. And when, when you're connected to the vine, that's what happens. You begin to breathe normally. And then what happens too when you're connected to Jesus, your love for Jesus begins to make sin look horrible. And it's not so much the, the, the struggle to stay away begins to diminish. Right? You, you don't need to, you don't need someone to, as you're walking down the street and you see a half-eaten piece of donut on the ground, no one needs to tell you, hey, hey, hey. Don't eat that, man, right? Now, a dog, you have to, right? You gotta pull the leash back. My dog will eat anything. My dog recycles himself, if you know what I'm talking about, right? It's gross, right? Dogs will eat anything. But you, you don't, I don't have to tell my girls, hey, don't go eat the dog poop, right? You don't need to say that, right? Why? Because you know that's gross. When, when you're connected to the vine, listen, naturally what happens? We begin to see sin and go, man, I, I used to think that was okay. I don't even, why is that? Because that's the spirit of God in you. That's the spirit of God drawing your heart away from those things. Now, practically though, how, how do I get to that place where I'm abiding in that way, where, where I, I, I'm saying no to sin and yes to righteousness? What's that look like specifically? Well, in verse 27, what's John say? He says, but the anointing you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. 
He's saying, listen, when he's saying you don't need anybody to teach you, that's kind of weird because John's actually teaching as he's writing that, right? What he's saying is this, don't let somebody come in with some sort of higher authority above God's word. This is, I know something, I know the word says that, but I got something better. He's saying, yeah, you don't need that. You've got the spirit of God in you. He says, you've been anointed by the spirit when you came to Christ, filled with the spirit. And he says, what you've been taught, Jesus has laid it out clearly for you. You have the word of God. So how do we abide? I mean, Jesus says the same thing in John 15, seven. He says, let my word abide in you. Let my word make its home in you. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you you take God's word that seriously? Do you say, man, this abides in me. I make my home in God's word. Colossians 3, 16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The psalmist says that that God's words are sweeter than the honeycomb to my mouth and I ate them. He abided in the word. So so how do you see God's word? Are you encouraged to be in the word? I mean, I I think I talked about this already before, but there's a small group I heard about where, man, they're just getting serious about the word of God. We're like, hey, hey, when you come to small group, make sure you've been in the word. And it's not being legalistic. It's a loving brother and sister saying, this is where our life is connected to the vine. So let's not just show up and go, yeah, you know what? I didn't read the word. Why not? That's where our life is. It's with Christ. Are you, are you praying? Are you pressing in? Are you, are you an authentic, persevering, real follower of Christ? We abide in the word. So what happens when you abide in the word? When life throws you a curveball and something hits you hard, that, that life comes in and, and you're filled with worry. Maybe it's a relationship struggle. Maybe it's a, a financial need and worry begins to creep in. What do you do? What's your heart do? When the word abides in you, you begin to say, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You begin to think, wait, wait, I remember that place where Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything. And and he he said, look at the birds of the air. God takes care of them. How much more valuable are are you to him than just these birds? And, And our heart begins to rest when we abide in that. And pretty soon the way you face trials and worry, you, you begin to look different than what the world looks like. And they look in on your life going, something's different about you. Now I go through the same kind of strife you do, but I'm, I'm impacted by it. Man, you just seem to, to rise above it. You have a peace in it. That's what it means to have the Bible abide in you. When you, when you let God's word speak over you, when, when you let God's word argue with you, I would say this, if, if you never read God's word and are convicted, like, man, I don't know if I, how I can do that. If, if it never challenges you, you may be abiding in your own word and not in God's word. Let God's word press in your heart. Let God's word preach to you. Let Jesus' word abide in you. And for that to happen, listen, it's a discipline. It's a discipline of, of reflecting God's word, of reading, of studying, of meditating, of memorizing And what happens is when we let God's word, we let the the authority of Jesus Christ begin to take over our hearts, we're changed. We live differently. In fact, Jesus says this, if you really abide in me, if you really love me, you'll obey my commandments, he says. Now, here's the thing. We love to talk about the gospel here at Harvest. We talk so much about, hey, it's not about what you do. It's what Christ has done for you. Amen. And that's so, that's so right. That's so true. You don't work your way into a relationship with the Lord. He's done the work for you. But listen, out of what we call justification, made right with God, when we've been justified by the power of Christ, listen, we also are given the power of the Spirit in us. John says, anointed by the Spirit for our sanctification, to grow in Christ. 
That love of Christ that we talk so much about, listen, it becomes a love for his word. It becomes a love for his commands. So we read through scripture, we see a lot of commands. We, we see outdo one another in love. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Put away all falsehood. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let the thief no longer steal. Let, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Put away all bitterness and wrath. Be kind to each other. Sexual immorality must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Don't get drunk with wine. Children, obey your parents as to the Lord. Those are a lot of commands. Maybe some of those kind of hit you a little bit like, oh, that's a struggle for me. Again, listen, it starts with being connected to the vine. It starts with resting in the truth of the gospel, coming back to that. But listen, out of that grows fruit. If you see there's no fruit, if you see, man, I have no love for those commandments. I don't want to do them. I have no desire for them. My life does not reflect those. You need to ask yourself the hard question. This warning in 1 John should shake you up this morning. Do you really know Jesus? Is the spirit of the Antichrist in you? Maybe it's an indication that you, you, you like to hang out with Jesus, but you're not really saved. Christ didn't just die to secure our forgiveness, but he also secured the, the sin-killing obedience we have by the power of the Spirit. First John, sorry, First Peter 2.24 says that he bore our sin on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That heart, that heart that abides in Christ that heart connected to the vine is a heart that pursues Jesus more and more. And you might say, yeah, but I feel weak. I, I fail at this. Of course you feel weak. Jesus says that you, you're the branch. He's the vine. We can't do nothing on our own. The branch can't achieve life and fruit, but connected to the vine, it can. Without him, we can do nothing. With him, with him, I love in John 15, with him, he says, you can do whatever you want. God wants, to, God wants to, to grow whatever you want. What kind of fruit are you looking to grow this morning? What kind of fruit do you want? Do you want more love? Do you want peace? Do you, do you want control? Do you want humility? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want courage? Do you want any of those? God says, those are yours. Connect to the vine. Abide in the vine. Draw that out of me, he says. But again, verse 27 says it begins with this anointing that you've received. It's a work of the Spirit of God. When you became a Christ follower, Scripture says you are given the Spirit of God. You are filled with God's Spirit. That, that's the power of Christ now in you. And so what happens then when, when sin is pressing in on you, you know you have the power of the Spirit. You know that you're filled with the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit. When that sin pressing in on you does not feel so great. When that sin pressing in on you, you begin to say no to that sin and yes to righteousness. He says, you don't, you don't have anybody need to teach you that. You don't have to have somebody with some higher knowledge. He goes, you just need to rest in the truth of the gospel. And the spirit of God will begin to pour 
pour into your hearts a love for the Lord. In fact, I would say it this way. If, you, if you're not loving Jesus, forget everything else I've talked about this morning. Actually, forget everything. For, for, forget discipleship, forget, forget giving, forget serving, forget going on missions. If you don't love Jesus, none of that other stuff matters. And when we talk here at our church that our mission is this, we wanna see the lost saved, the saved matured, and the matured multiplied. But what is it? What are we trying to multiply? If it's not a people who love God, then what's the point? I mean, God's so clear. He says, I don't care about all the noise of, of your religious activity. I don't care about all that noise if you don't love me. I mean, this should be the cry of our heart this morning. We say, Lord, my, if, if, if you're not there, you'd be crying out, Lord, my heart is cold. My heart is so distracted by so many other things. Would you bring my heart to you and to you alone? And we cry out, God, with that heart, with that heart, would you, would you create in me a, a, a heart of boldness to go where you wanted me to go? to say what you want me to say? Would, would you grow in me a distaste for sin? Would you grow in me a hatred for the sin in my heart that I, I wouldn't be okay with any sin in my life, anything in my life that doesn't scream out that I love Jesus? That we'd say, I'm so done with just going through the motions of church, with, with saying things I don't mean, with singing things I don't mean, but Jesus, would you begin to stir my heart so that I would love you, truly love you? I mean, what would happen to us as a church if this room was filled with people like that? If, if we just got past all the, the flaky religious stuff that, that can so be attached to church of just going through the motions, what if, what if we move past the, I go to church sometimes, every once in a while, I was, I was raised in church, so I, I guess this is what it means to be a Christ follower. And I heard one pastor say it this way. He's talking about the movie Madagascar. You ever see the movie Madagascar? Anybody see that movie? If you've got kids, of course, you if you're a Christian, you have to see it, right? It's one of the movies we can watch, Okay. <laughs> and there's this cartoon, right? And there's this zebra and the zebra's having his birthday and, and, it, and, and while he's having his birthday, he's running on this treadmill with a picture of the jungle in front of him, all right? And, and a lion and a hippo come, they give him cake, they sing happy birthday to him. It's not a documentary if you're wondering, right? And so this zebra looking at this picture of the jungle, he turns to one of the other animals, the hippo or the lion, he goes, man, I was made for so much more than this. I don't belong in a zoo. I belong in the jungle. And the lion, right? The lion turns and goes, are you kidding me? Man, I love it, man. We live in a cage. They bring us meat when we want to eat. All I have to do is go out of the cage every once in a while, roar, scare some kids. I get to go back in the cage. They give me more meat. He goes, this is the life. Right? There's a hippo and a giraffe. They're all going, yeah, man, we love our cages. What are you talking about? The wild, the, the wild's dangerous, man. We don't want to go out there. And the, the zebra's like, man, I just know I was made for something more than this. All right, long story short, they, they all break out of the zoo, right? Obviously with the help from penguins, because okay, it's not a documentary, right? These penguins help them break out. They get out of the zoo. They go out into the wild. They end up in the wild, and they're in the wild, and the lions with another pack of wild lions, right? A pride of lions. And the zebra's saying, the lion, man, this is it. This is what you were made for. You, you gotta run like a lion. You gotta run. And this roar comes out of him that he didn't know was even in there, right? That he ate the zebra because it's a documentary. No, he didn't. That was, that's how I thought it should have went. Okay, he didn't eat the zebra. 
Here's the thing. So often church becomes like a zoo. When we no longer abide and we no longer have a love in our hearts for Jesus above all else, when we, we stop living out of the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that we've been given, and we're like, you know what? Just leave me in a cage. Just feed me. You just feed me every week and you feed my kids every week. I'll put my youth in a cage. You feed them too. And I'll just sit here and I'll complain about the food you give me, but you just keep feeding. Here's my hope. My hope is that across this room right now, there are so many of you who say, man, I'm so done with that. I don't belong here in a zoo. There's something so much more. I've been transformed for something so much more. I belong where it's dangerous. I think deep down inside, if, if you have the spirit of God and you, you know it's true and there's something in this, man, I, I want something so much more than this. God, I, I, want you to, I want you to break open these cages that I'm in and that's my prayer for us as a church. That even right now, God would be releasing releasing us from these cages we're in. Cages of sin that we keep running back to. Sin we've excused. C cages of apathy and comfort. Cages of bitterness and anger. Cages of self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. Cages of fear, cages of addictions, cages of unbelief. And I, man, I pray that God would start to release us from these, that our, our love for Christ would compel us to live life differently, to, to live our lives knowing that eternity is here and now that this is the last hour, to not be okay with any disconnection I have in my relationship with Christ, to not be okay that I don't abide in the word, to not be okay that, that people in Muskoka and Perry Sound have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that people to the end of the earth still don't know that we wouldn't be okay with that. That we'd be sent out from here. We wouldn't live in cages. But to recognize that as John says, you've been anointed with the spirit of God. Like Paul says in Ephesians that you would know this. Here's my prayer for us, that we would know what is the hope that which he's called you. What are the riches of his great inheritance in the saints? To know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul's saying that's the power you have in you. Are you a Christ follower? Are you an authentic follower of Christ? That's the spirit of God in you. I'm gonna call the worst team up here. And I just wanna pray over us, even right now. So I just ask right now, as the, as the team comes up, that you would, just where you're at right now, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and even now, as I pray, that you would be praying this prayer as well. Heavenly Father, I pray that even right now, you would be across this room. God, that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we'd be able to see our hearts clearly. But God, more than that, more than seeing our hearts, I pray, God, you give us just a, 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 by the power of your spirit, a, the, the revelation to know the grace poured out on us, to know the hope that you've called us to, the hope of walking with you. Open our hearts to, to know that we've been loved, redeemed, set free, transformed, 
that you've given, your, given us your spirit to be at work in us. Help us to know the immeasurable power at work in us through your spirit when we abide in you, Lord Jesus. The same power that raised you from the dead. Pray that you'd send us out of here with a, a deeper love for you that translates into a deeper love for each other, a deeper love for the lost, that we wouldn't be like we're in a zoo, but we'd be out on mission for you. And God, I pray that it begins here and now with a, a recognition of the truth of the gospel. And Lord, God, if there is sin, we'd bring it now. We wouldn't be okay with it. Father, if there are those here this morning who've been going through the motions, who've been hanging out but don't really know you. Oh, they may say it with their mouth, but God, their hearts are so far from you. They've excused sin for so long. They've been removed from community for so long. They've been going through the motions and hiding out for so long. They've been removed from your word for so long. God, I pray, Lord, that they would either come back to you if they know you, or Lord God, that you would be speaking right now with conviction to draw their hearts to you, God, that if they didn't know you, they would know you today. God, fill this church with a love for you that changes us. That we're not content with doing church any longer. That we want to be the church. That you'd restore in our soul where our hearts are cold. You'd restore in our hearts a love for you. And I thank you, Lord God, that it's not us striving towards this, but us remembering what we've been told already it's through the power of your gospel that we've been changed. So God, right now, would you do a work by the power of your spirit? God, would you restore what's been cold? Would you rekindle what's gone out? Would you bring to life what was dead? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.